Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Trinity B-Side, tackling the issues within football. Welcome to episode seven of the Trinity B-Side. It's been a little while since we last recorded one of these episodes, which was uh, with Greg O'Keefe over the, the changing face of journalism. Um, and this, this episode is in particular is, is one which we have visited in the past, going back a, a couple of years ago. Um, and it's something which is is very very important to keep the conversation going about. We always knew and we always said we, we would certainly come back uh, and discuss this further. And that is that is racism within within our sport within football. And I'm delighted to say this afternoon joining myself and Lee is from from Kick It Out, the development officer. Uh, a lot of you will know will know him. Uh, a lot of Evertonians will certainly know him. Um, after his, his, his son signed for the club in the summer. And that is Troy Townsend. Troy, how are you on this fairly, fairly sunny Thursday afternoon? I don't know where you are. I haven't got sun here at the moment, so I'm not I'm not going to join you in that. And that's quite unusual. But yeah, all good. Not too bad. Um, pleasure to be on. And I remember you tried to get me on previously and I, I missed it, didn't I? So, but yeah, really good to join you both. And uh, hopefully we'll have some, uh, I was going to say good conversations, but the topic we're talking about, doesn't lend itself to good, does it? But uh, yeah, important conversations will probably be the best thing. It's, it certainly is, and you know, like like I said, it's it's a conversation that unfortunately we we, we do revisit uh, quite often. Even you know, in the in the modern game, you know, we we see incidents of, of racism, and they're so frequent now, and it's it's really really sad that you know we we hear of players being racially abused. Either at the ground, uh, social media is, has become uh, it's prevalent, unfortunately, where, where players are getting abuse week in week out, um, and it's it's really frightening to, to see the way racism has evolved, if we can even call it that, over the last few few years in particular. Yeah, it's. Um... You know, because I work in the business and because I closely obviously will see the incidents and will acknowledge certain situations and have communications with players, I think we have to acknowledge that racism, you know, in our sport has never really gone away. There was a period of time where people thought that, you know, there was no stadium abuse, there was no player on player abuse. Um, you know, the the advent of the Premier League meant that all people were worried about was the products products on the field of play. Um, I'll tell you that obviously it continued to exist and, and has continued its theme all the way through, but maybe it wasn't a topic of discussion for many because it was uncomfortable, to be totally honest. And it's a really uncomfortable conversation, particularly if you don't have the experience. Um, and I wouldn't want anyone to have the experience, by the way, of being targeted, abused because of a particular characteristic. And obviously here we're talking about the colour of one's skin. Um, but I think more importantly over the last few years is that players have been very vocal. They're talking about their experiences. They're no longer being controlled by media teams or, uh, you know, the industry to not talk about that experience. Um, they have their own social media platforms now where they don't have to wait for a, a club kind of comment. They can comment by themselves. And what that's done is obviously brought a lot of empathy to those that have unfortunately had to experience situations like like 
have continued. Um, you know, I've just mentioned there the advent of social media and, and, you know, there's a positive and an absolute negative towards that, isn't there? Because it's made people um, a lot braver um, to use language where they feel they won't get identified, they can't be caught. Um, and it's presented another challenge that the game and the platforms and the government at the moment uh, are having to deal with. And it's been a long road and it's a road that you kind of worry where the end point's going to be or, or how you see the end point. So it, it's an ongoing battle, but there's definitely more people now in this space who are, you know, sharing their experiences, but also calling experiences, uh, things out as well, which has to help. We need as many people as possible in this journey. And and it's, um, like I said, it's one that, yeah, unfortunately at the moment we're in situations where it's a regular occurrence on a match day. You know, it's a regular occurrence. People that feel that we don't have issues in our country with regards to racism need to think again because I'll, I can roll out a number of players that are maybe not high profile for them to be acknowledged, but who are still experiencing the kind of stuff that we would have seen in the summer. Um, and it's important that we acknowledge that too, because racism doesn't just impact in the Premier League, it impacts right across our leagues into non-league, into grassroots. I, I totally I totally agree with that. I, I think it's never gone away. It's never gone away. And then I was saying to Mike before you and I uh, jumped on the call here now as well, um, I first started going to see Everton, you know, normally for your dad, as you do. Yeah. Unfortunately, he, he he got that into me. <laughs> I've got no choice. But um, no, but generally speaking, he grew up with a fantastic team in the eighties, an Everton team that was a, a you know dominating the leagues along with Liverpool at the time. And I remember going the game late eighties. I must have only been six or seven, but I do have vivid memories of us when we played Liverpool and used to go to that game. As you can imagine, highly charged atmospheres normally night games. And obviously, John Barnes, what a fantastic player he was. Obviously, mm. shame he didn't play for us, but he was a lovely player. And I remember even then like saying to my dad going you know why are the fans like giving him particular abuse or at the time it was racist abuse also I, I you know I grew up and got to know that but it was quite hard to see to be honest yeah. as a little kid trying to absorb all that obviously it was a very different time and it was almost more culturally accepted then you know than it is now but what it is now whereas you'd probably see less of that at the game even though you're right it's still prevalent I think there's a lot more of an undercurrent with it coming through on social media, particularly Twitter, you know, and you see, you know, players, if they do something you know, wrong in a game even or anything like that, their own fans sending things like monkey emojis and that, which is absolutely disgraceful. So that tells me there still is, you know, and, and obviously what we've gone through in terms of Brexit and the pandemic in, in, in the last few years, I think that's polarised a lot of the people in the country. So more and more people are coming out of the woodwork on social media and, and being more vocal about it. And, yeah, so for me, I agree with you. It's never really gone away, has it? It's just in a different guise nowadays, isn't it? I, I would say, I mean, you're absolutely correct in everything that you've kind of mentioned there, Lee. And obviously that game in 1988 of Goodison Park was a famous game with a famous image um, that continues to almost, I'd say, inspire to this very day as such. And that may be a little bit, you know, what do you mean inspire? Because... It was how black players had to deal with the abuse that they were receiving at that period of time. Um, you know, I'm here to say that we should never just think that the social media platform is the house, is the home of abuse in this country. Because, you know, only two years ago, well, nearly three years ago now, there was a banana on our football pitch in a Premier League game as Spurs played uh, Arsenal at the Emirates, you know, towards thrown towards Bamiyang. Um mm. You know, two weeks later, Raheem Sterling calls out the whole of the football media as such for the way they portray black players and adding fuel to the fire. We've got a government that continues to talk in, in, in negative tones about the experiences of black players. Again, in the summer, you know, the idea whether people agree with taking the knee or not, I, I, I think as, as, as people that are rulers of this country, you have to have that balanced argument and Unfortunately, our government never, you know, and they and they ostracised the players, you know, the England players for taking the knee, but were very quick to put on England shirts, you know, when the semi-finals were around and the final was around because they wanted to glorify and everything that the players had achieved. But part of that achievement was the taking of the knee, you know, and, and what it represented to those players. But it's interesting because every ground that, you know, we finally allowed backing grounds. And I've got to say this, that the Premier League experience 
in regards to respecting what the players achieve, want to achieve, is unbelievable. There's a totally different mindset when that knee, when the knee is taken. I was at Old Trafford on Saturday, and you know because of the organisation I work for and because of what I do, I'm always interested at that period of time just before kickoff, and to hear the stadium the round of applause and every time I've been to Goodison Park now, the round of applause shows me the amount of good people that there are out there who are respecting the players for their, their for their views, for their stance and who want to actually, you know, they know probably no other way of showing that appreciation apart from the clapping. And it's, and it's beautiful to see, but or to witness, but like I said, Lee, you're, you're right about the, the social media impact because that could be bestowed just on your own team like you've said, but we're seeing arrests of people who abuse their own players. We saw an arrest two, 18 months ago and, 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 and a, uh, a court order against a, a guy who racially, I'm sorry to keep mentioning Raheem Sterling here, but he racially mm. abused Raheem Sterling for scoring a goal, by the way. He's a Man City fan. And wow. in his celebration, he felt it was appropriate to racially abuse Raheem. Now, I'm not brought up that way. I can't understand that mentality and mindset. Yes, it's something that we have to deal with, but every time a weekend of football goes by, my Mondays are incredibly busy, seeping into my Tuesdays. They are incredibly busy. There may be times when I have to absolutely redirect my diary because of the the impact of what's happened over a weekend so we sometimes it is tiring to to even continue to talk about it but I appreciate the platform that you've given me today because I think actually it would help so many to understand you know what is going on what the current situation is but also what people can do to to kind of support particularly our organization in this space that tells you it's an unconscious thought isn't it if that Man City fan's doing that in a celebratory moment that's an unconscious thought that that's just coming out in that spare of the moment, which tells you it's unconscious. And therefore, for me, for those people who are doing that, that's an education piece in it. That's like, you know, who, who's educating them coming from above them, whether it's parental, whether it's whatever, that's an education piece. And that's a bigger, a bigger picture thing, isn't it? You know what I mean? I mean, that's sad to see that, that you're doing that in that environment. I mean, he's a 40 plus year old man. Mm he has a decision then whether he wants to be educated yeah. or whether he's happy with, with, you know, the education that he yeah. has received, you know, yeah. and, and yes, education has to be at the forefront of everything we are trying to achieve here. But education is, is something that people either want to receive or actually don't care because their beliefs are their beliefs. And actually what they, I understand what you're saying about unconscious, but I always now flip that and say, actually, I think it's conscious. They're fully aware. They know what they're doing. They know what they, they want to achieve by what they're doing. But actually, this is the, the positive part. They're getting called out a lot more now. So before, if you were standing next to someone who, let's just say, was just shouting abuse, you know, we have to understand we're in an environment, uh, a, a cultural environment in football where abuse is part and parcel. The players know that, you know, and sometimes the abuse, you know, swearing and whatever else, you know, if there's little kids around can go a little bit beyond. But there was still that fear of actually saying anything to the individuals or group of people that used to shout that abuse for fear that that abuse would then come at you, you know, in, in their kind of moment. But I am pleased. Again, we've got to realise that in the grand scheme of things, this is all still a minority. But unfortunately, that minority seems to have a very, very loud voice. And that continued loud voice is what we need to kind of get to the bottom to and, and help educate and support and and for those people to understand you know around you know just equality as such you know and that has many different meanings as well you you mentioned there about taking the knee sure and that, that's become a really really um big part of of the game you know just before before kickoff players taking the knee um and it's such a it's such a huge symbol and a huge message as well um what, what what are your thoughts on those players now? And the the one who stands out is Marcus Alonso. Has come out in the last week or so to say that he won't uh, do that any longer. Um, he's got his, his own way of, of of getting his or putting his support across. What what are your thoughts on the players who who don't choose to do it anymore? 
do you think that takes away from from what all the other players are, are trying to achieve? Mike, I'm not going to be disrespectful to your question, but I don't care. Players can do what they want to do in acknowledgement of the act of taking the knee. And, you know, Wilf Zaha last season was highlighted. It's almost like people are searching for the players that don't take the knee and then prominently talk about those players for a little period of time. Now, I'm quite surprised Marcus Alonso has come up now because he hasn't been taking the knee for quite a long while, but no one noticed. And then all of a sudden, someone notices and all of a sudden, Marcus Alonso is now a story. Forget that. And I, and I mean that in the nicest possible way, by the way. Forget that. The story is in the message. What are players trying to achieve? They're turning the focus back on the footballing authorities to say that enough is enough and you now need to start acting appropriately to help support players, you know, from victimisation on the field of play. You know, any form of discrimination. What the players are saying is, that is still not happening, by the way, as we can see by the multiple incidents that continue to happen. So they're going to continue to take the knee. You know, will the knee continue and continue and continue? No, I don't think it will. But there has to be a point where the questions are, are not directed at the players and the questions are directed back to the football's governance um, to say, actually, you know, these players are doing this for a certain reason, for a particular reason. What have you achieved in the past 16 months that the players have been doing it? You know, what can you tell us? What, are, what information do you have to say that you are eliminating racism from our sport so that the players no longer have to make this public show of togetherness in whatever way that they do? And I'll, I'll, let me just allude to this one. Um, I've got to get my, my teams right. Slavia Prague. So when the Glenn Kamara situation, if everyone's aware of it, happened last year in the Europa League, um, and he identified that it was racially abused by Cadella, the, the, the Czech player, who obviously then got a 10-match ban and was not allowed to play in the Euros. Arsenal were next. Arsenal were next up. So they, they beat Rangers, they're next up. I don't know if you saw the power of the image of the Arsenal players taking the knee whilst the Slavia Prague players all stood around the centre circle. I'm not even sure if they knew why they were standing. I thought it was actually in direct defiance to the Arsenal players taking the knee. And then you saw Lacazette look right down the barrel almost. And that set the scene for the game. Now, I'm not an Arsenal yeah, fan. Massive, any chalk of the imagination, by the way. I'm not an Arsenal fan at all. But that night, I wanted them to beat Slavia Prague and beat them well. Um, because for me, there was more than just a football match being played there. Um, and I think it was of such utmost importance that, Listen, I'll say this to you now. There are people that will say, what is he talking about now to me? And I don't care. Everyone's got an opinion. But I tell you now, someone that works in this industry on a day-to-day -day basis and, and, and has to witness some of the, the incidents that many won't understand, you know, the problem is not shying away, unfortunately. And we, we, we need to continue to have a loud and proud voice on it. Man, we were all Arsenal fans that night. I remember that game. <laughs> I remember that game distinctly, actually, because Slavia Prague were a decent side and they beat a good a good Rangers team under Gerard there who were flying. That's and, right. Um, you're right. I mean, massive, massive kudos to Arsenal that night because uh, they, they didn't only beat them. It was more than a football match. They battered them. And yeah. Lacazette, Lacazette was outstanding in that game. And it's like you said, it was almost as if like, all right, then. All right, then you're going to do... It's like, you know, like... In, 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 this is not to trivialise it at all. It's like, you know, when they do the hacker for New Zealand and some yeah. teams disrespect, disrespect that. Yeah. You know, I've been to New Zealand, and that is a massive part of their culture. And if you disrespect exactly. that, then they they and then that's they they take that on the team, and that's kind of what Arsenal did there, didn't they? Go well, you're going to disrespect us. We'll show you how good we are, and they exactly. absolutely battered him, battered him that night. Yeah. The only time I praise Arsenal Football Club for sure. So <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah. absolutely, you're yeah. right. Absolutely yeah. right. Sure. Do, do you think that obviously the work you do now with Kickhouse um, as as head of development? Do you think that if we, if you think back to the time when you were playing uh, football in your younger days, was it Millwall and uh, Crystal Palace uh, that you that you played for as a youngster? And then obviously you then did uh, you then went into the management game for, for non-league sides. Do you think that racism has changed over that time? Do you, do you think that there has been an improvement uh, in terms of people's behaviours? Um, because obviously it's 
it's hard. It's hard for me to think back. Lee mentioned obviously when he attended Goodison Park with his dad, um, obviously late late 80s. Um, it's hard for me to think about probably as as early as then. Do you think it's changed? So did you did you experience racism when you were when you were playing football at a younger age? So it's a great question because it doesn't matter whether it changes or not; it still exists. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I experienced. Unfortunately, I, I experienced racism in society. So forget football. I just experienced it in society. I grew up as a young man who um, had friends from all different backgrounds, all different cultures. I saw the human being and we became good friends. And on my street, the big thing we used to do is just get a ball. So it shows you how old I am. We used to just get a ball and kick it up against the brick wall, or some, the flat of someone's house. Those days, you know. Um, and I didn't really know what racism was. I, I didn't know what it was, I'll be honest with you, um, until meeting it in society, being called a black C-U-N-T, um, being called other savoury words, and then realising that I was different. Um, you know, one of the biggest things, uh, let me just share this with you. It may not mean much to many. I remember playing for the district side, you know, as, as an under six, I think I was 15 at the time, and we went up to Middlesbrough, uh, for a semi-final of the English Schools Cup. Now, I'd never been out of London that much. So I, Middlesbrough, to me, was like going across, halfway across the world. Um, mm. But I, we'd gone up to Middlesbrough. We're having a, a, a bite to eat the night before the game. And um, I'm sitting on a table with two white teammates who I would never have called white teammates at the time. They're just my teammates. And this young kid, he must have been about three, like, well, you know, he's messing about on the floor and whatever. And he comes over and he stares at me. And when I tell you stares at me, he gives me one of those stares. Do you know those stares that go straight through you? Mm-hmm. And it seemed like forever that he was staring at me. And his mum come and got him, pulled him away. He's looking back. He's still looking at me. And I couldn't understand what he was looking at. And then I realised the colour of my skin. He had never obviously been exposed to somebody of my colour skin before. And I've got to be honest, it's left an impression on me because I speak about it every time. I questioned mm. the colour of my skin. I wondered if I was white underneath. I wondered if why I was given this colour. Who told me or who said that you were going to be black as such, you know, with, with light skin tone? And I questioned it a lot. And it stayed as honestly it stayed with me. Nothing against the young child, by the way. You know, he's just coming up and but it I suppose what it did is 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 sent all different things happening in my head where I'd never questioned it before. I'd never questioned the colour of the skin. I'd never questioned, you know, the teammates that were sitting on the table, why we why I was deemed a different one out of the three. And then it became apparently clear. I, I advanced my football career. So my, my football career as a youngster, you know, ended really at 16, being released twice by the two football clubs you mentioned in a short space of time. I went back into grassroots football. I just didn't, I was, I was affected massively by being released. And again, you're playing with a smile on your face. You're playing with freedom. You're not really acknowledging anything else apart from I used to put the ball in the back of the net, so I loved scoring goals. Then when I, my coaching journey started really young, um, and then I got involved in non-league, but it became apparent there, my multicultural football team that had representation from quite a few nationalities were a target, not just because of their ability, which was high-performing ability, by the way, and I'm being big-headed here, um, mm. but also because some of my lads were black Portuguese, black English, black West Indian, mixed race. And the reason I stopped, so the re- I stopped coaching six, and, and I know you've asked me the question about that period of time, but to bring it closer to, to, to home, I stopped coaching six years ago, I think six, seven years ago. My team were racially abused by parents. Monkey chants monkey actions and it broke my team and it broke me because one I felt that you know I'm the protector I'm the coach manager whatever you want to call it I'm the protector 
you know, all of a sudden their parents have gone, Troy, they're yours. Look after them. Do you know what I mean? And I exposed mm. them. This is the way I see it. And I, I exposed them to racist abuse by adults. And we lost the case, by the way. So we finished that season double winners. But the hurt that I got from that incident, I've never recovered from. Um, it was very emotional when I said, look, I'm stepping down and whatever else. And the team kind of faded after that. But I also felt I was becoming a target because my work for Kick It Out was becoming more and more prominent. And almost felt that people were using it as a, an opportunity to dig at me for highlighting racism in 2020, in 2015, I think it was. And I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it along with the day-to-day -day of having to deal with it. So in answer to your question, I saw it back then and I still see it back, I still see it now. The privilege of my job allows me or used to allow me, hopefully it will do soon, to travel the country and to enter different training grounds and whatever. And I see that conscious, unconscious bias every time I travel on a train, every time I'm, I'm in a queue trying to pay for some food, every time, it, 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 it's very hard to explain both to both of you, but there'll be many that will go, yeah, I understand that. It's, it's just an unconscious thing. I took my former boss who comes from Ireland and I used to tell her some of these stories, you know, I'm on the train and, They'll ignore me and, and offer food to the person behind me. Um, I offer my, you know, no one else is being asked for their ticket but me. I go to work in a suit. Um, I'm not saying that that puts you on any other platform, but one thing it certainly does is gives you almost respect, you know, from, from people around you. You know, being asked for my train ticket, well, the person next to me is not asked for their train ticket. And I, I, what, there's one time when I said, so why haven't you asked this lady that's sitting next to me who was my boss? Oh, no, that, that's we, we just, and I'm like, those experiences are quite unique and are quite tough to deal with. And my boss, even in the end, said, oh, my God, everything you're saying to me is correct. I can see it now. I understand what you're going through. I could share those stories and make this podcast very boring, to be totally honest. But those are elements of my life that we and, and many people's life that still exist to this very day. You know what I mean? That's so powerful, that. That is so powerful. Even from that image there that's burned into your mind, even as a 15-year-old there, where that little kid was looking at you, it stayed with you, isn't it? It stayed with you. Yes. It's, really, it's really, obviously, like, visceral, and you can tell the way you told it then. it's, And, you know, it hasn't gone away. You're right, it hasn't, has it? You know, even just, like, it being treated differently on the train there. It's it's not just a football thing, this, at all, is it? It's, it's, it's a really wider society exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah. And it does it does come from the top, you're right. It really does come from the very top. And the way the government obviously behaved around that time, you know, it was it was it was ridiculous really and it was embarrassing, you know, because obviously they have an opportunity to sort of, you know, really sort of put a stamp on some of this, you know, in terms of what their rhetoric is, in terms of how they act. And they didn't. And um, yeah. you know, the way the way they dealt with that knee thing was horrendous. And then they bashed in the glory, like you said, of the team later on and so exactly. hypocritical and so hypocritical. When I look back, you know, there are some iconic people, and even more recently, obviously, in the States as well, they've had issues over there, haven't they? With, you know, obviously, was it Colin Kaepernick, uh, um, who yeah. was obviously making a stand and, and, and good on him for doing it. And obviously, again, at the time, Trump was in power, and he was, he was almost ridiculing it as well, isn't it? And, like, he was, you know, disgraceful. And even, even the images that come to my mind, even before my time, you know, the famous images of Tommy Smith and John Carlos at the Olympics as well, uh, you know, the Black Power Salute, which I think yeah. was just incredibly powerful. I don't know whether you remember that, Mike, you know, the 1968 Olympics, wasn't yeah. it? Um, but even, you know, they were, they were fighting for something they completely believed in. Do you know what I mean? And, and without, without, I would call these people role models, yeah. by the way. You've mentioned Raheem a few times. I think he's been fantastic in how vocal he's become about it. Uh, I think Rio Ferdinand, again, a, a really good guy, speaks really well. Obviously, I think he's a good pundit as well, but I think He's very vocal about it alongside Lineker and things like that on certain. And, you know, for me, these people, are they fighting a losing battle? I hope bloody not. I hope bloody not. I hope they're not fighting a losing battle. I hope you're not with what you're doing because it, it, the needs, it needs to come from the very top list. There needs to be sanctions. There needs to be, you know, and if it is at a football game, so be it. Then these people like that, sit you banned. 
because yeah. that's good. That's one thing that's going to hurt them most. And I mentioned social media before. Mike and I use Twitter a fair bit and things like that. Twitter's probably the worst for it. But the sooner, the sooner we can identify people that are on Twitter. So in other words, you can't create an account without providing some form of ID. Soon as Twitter have to do that, and that for me, they've got a social responsibility that they have exactly. to do that. And if they do that, I can guarantee you there'll be people that will maybe think twice before before what they say. Because if that means they're going to get arrested, or that means you know whatever sanction it may be, then you know that's that's the way it has to be for me. Because there needs to be some sort of repercussions. Otherwise, we are going to be you know going round in circles in some ways. You know, and it's it's just it's just so bloody sad to see, to be honest. To be fair, we're in conversations with them quite a lot now, and I think we're almost to a place where maybe what you've just mentioned there is is going to happen in some shape or form. Um, yeah. We've got to keep our fingers crossed because it's been a very, very long conversation. And there's also a responsibility here. You said the government. There's also a responsibility on the judicial system to do what's yeah. right, which is called hate crime. You know, last week you would have seen uh, the gentleman, that gentleman I've called him, he can't be a gentleman if he's racially abusing people, can he? But a father of three, sorry, a father racially abused Romaine Sawyers in a private uh, West Bromwich Albion group basically have to spend four weeks in prison, you know, and, and another four weeks on licence. Um, and I remember being interviewed last week and people saying, well, is that a landmark moment? Is that the point where we can say, Finally, the accountability is there. And then yesterday, uh, uh, a guy that you know videoed himself racially abusing the free England players who'd missed the penalties after the Euros final gets a suspended sentence. So I can't understand and comprehend in my head how there is a, a the very first you know incrimination almost. Uh, you, you're going to have to go to prison. It's going to be an embarrassment on you. It's going to have to be. It's going to be an embarrassment on your family and your close friends. You're going to spend four weeks. I wouldn't want to spend one day in prison. I'll tell you that for nothing. Mm. I felt it should have been harsher, but we'll take four weeks. But then another guy who actually videos himself, so is public with the abuse, gets a suspended sentence. And if we're not going to align what we do, we're never going to achieve the end goal. But I think the question, Lee, we've got to be positive in all of this because I, I, I'd walk away tomorrow mm. if that was the case. Yeah, I agree. And try and look for something else, you know? Totally agree. I, think, um, I, I, I sit there and listen to, to obviously you, what you were explaining, obviously things that you've gone through and um, obviously the examples recently of, of these men who, who have uh, apparently, you know, been punished according to our, our judicial system for, for what they've done. And I cannot get my head around people who think in that way. I don't. I, I don't understand it because, like, like you were saying, when you were growing up and you were playing for the district team, they were your teammates. They, they weren't your white white teammates. You know, black teammates, whatever it might be. They weren't that. They were your teammates, and that's how I've, I've always been been brought up for all people. And and that is that. So I I can never understand people who think that way. I've never understood it. Never never got it at all. And the step that social media companies are hopefully taking is a massive, massive one. Of course, it is, um, and that 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 should hopefully, hopefully make incidents uh, of online abuse, you know, a bit rarer than they than they are now. I think the concern is that there are still people in this country. We can just keep it down to obviously the the, the UK for the discussion, who think that way to actually. Yeah. You know, have those thoughts in the mind to verbalise it, vocalise it, write it down, whatever it might be. What, what, what do you think, Troy, in terms of Lee's mentioned there about education? If if people are are that way inclined, do you think that education would even would even be enough for, for some people? Because it's so it's so difficult to to think how can we can we remedy this. Um, it's it's so hard to try and to try and get to a real positive conclusion. I think with people who are, who think that way, that's almost a stage where we have to say what's ingrained in people, particularly when they're older, is ingrained in them. You won't change everybody. You may change a few. You may get a few asking questions on themselves of themselves, but that bias almost is, is there and has existed for a very long time. It's just there's platforms now where that bias can come out and it and it's and it's 
all its formats. I think we've really got to focus on the younger generation now and instilling the the understanding and the positive nature of a diverse um of a diverse community of diverse country you know, I, listen we're in the midst of black history month at the moment aren't we and i asked a group of players young players the other day on a webinar that i was delivering when they were at school what were they taught around black history because i wanted i want to get a real grip on what are the issues why young people grow up and maybe are not empowered or, or don't have the right and appropriate education because we can say education but is it right and appropriate you know they're 17 they were 17 16 years of age so they've only just come out of our educational system to go into a footballing environment these are the first things that came up lynching the kkk and slavery now i'm on a big screen they must have seen my face lynching the KKK and slavery. Is that what black history is? Well, is that what we're teaching? Now, yes, there has to be an understanding around that kind of history for us to move forward. But if that's the takeaways, what are they being taught? Where's the positive nature of the contribution of black and brown people in this country? What's the, 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 the understanding around when the NHS was on its knees and the my parents contributed towards the redevelopment of the NHS, contributed, you know, so where are those positive good news stories so that actually as they grow up, they can begin to respect black and brown people for their contributions, not, oh, yeah, that's the group that we that we should be lynching. That's the group that we, you know, then people put, I don't know, white, white towels over their heads or white sheets over their heads and cut their eyes out i wonder if we should do that later on down the line oh black people should be imprisoned because that's what slavery was all about when are we going to start to but the problem with that and i've been a teacher for 15 years so i'm talking from a little bit of experience here we don't have the right people in the educational system to be able to teach in that way so it's a standard pro forma to teach from a book so as with football i think football needs to rip up its policies around sanctioning on discrimination and start all over again and make it fit for purpose for this day and age. That's probably what the educational system needs to do. And I've heard that, uh, yes, Marcus Rashford is going to be part of, um, what is it now, GCSE learning. History started before Marcus Rashford. Whilst that is a positive thing, by the way, I'm not knocking that, but history started before Marcus Rashford, which was only 18 months ago. So these are the particular issues that continue to be to be spoken about. But again, we've got to applaud our young people who then go out and maybe learn in their own way or who maybe grew up like I did and just wanted to see friends. I didn't care what background they were from. We were a collective of young people who used to go out and do silly things, but mainly focused on sport. Um, and, you know, Mustafa was my friend. Kevin was my friend. And they were actual people, by the way. Do you know what I mean? It didn't matter who mm. you were. Mm. We were part of a friendship circle. I, 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 I don't think it needs to be more difficult, as difficult as what people make it, to be totally honest. And, and we all know the first part of learning comes when the, clo the doors are closed in your own house, doesn't it? So what characteristics are family members portraying? What programs are they watching? What language do they use when they're watching their favourite team playing football and it's not going so well? Because as you said, Lee, with your dad taking you to Goodison mm. Park and there you are, you're an Evertonian son. Do you know mm. what I mean? It, 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 mm. That behaviour rubs off. You're so key. The, the, the youngster bit is, 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 is the key bit there. You are right. For Black History Month, things like that, I remember doing stuff in school as well. You can't ignore what's happened in the past. We need, we need to be able to see what's happened there and see how things have, have changed. And some of, you know, I remember uh, being fascinated learning about Martin Luther King, for example. Yeah. You know, what I mean, in school and history and so I, I loved all that stuff and I read around it because I was interested. And I had an intrigue in it, you know, and, and, and that's really important that, you know, kids are taught to be curious and, 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 and around around those sort of things. You know, I mean, I've got a little girl, Arabella, she's eight, you know, and, and I have a lot of music on in the house all the time. I've, I was brought up with music. We have music on all the time. And she, I was when I was a kid. Right. And I, I was a massive, massive Michael Jackson fan. Right. He was he was my you know idol as a kid. 
um, absolute hero. You know, I, I've still got the bad album on tape somewhere and things like that. <laughs> and 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 I got her into that. And then yeah. more recently, for example, um, she was asking me. You know, she sends me songs now. This is where we're at. But she sent me a great song the other day, Michael Kiwanuka. I love Michael Kiwanuka. I don't know if you know who he is. Yeah, great guy yeah. from North, great guy from North North London. But for her, that's looking up to people who who are you know of a certain standing, no matter what what, what you know cultural background they're from or wherever they may be. And for me, those guys you've just mentioned, Rashford as well. These guys, you know. If you look at Kiwanuka, for example, he samples a lot of Martin Luther King in the opening of his yeah. tracks. That, you know, he probably looked up to him as well when he was a kid. And I think these role models for these kids, like Rashford and that, play such an important part. And I've said the same to her, you know, these people, it doesn't matter what the colour of their skin is, Arabella. You know, it really doesn't. It doesn't matter. These people are talented human beings that have made it to here through hard work and whatever it may be and talent. But, you know, and, and that, that, that's, that, that's for me, I, I really want her to grow up open-minded yeah. and curious, and curious, like I said. But again, that comes down to, sadly, lack of, lack of schooling, but more parental thing, isn't it, but really? That, that, that first part of role modeling actually comes from home. Yeah. Because it, 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 it's that, you know, I like what my dad likes. I like what my mum likes. You know, sometimes mm. you don't have to force it on your children. They, they, they see it, they witness it, they hear it. Do you know what I mean? So... A particular type of, of of language is incessant, you know, in your own home. It's going to become the norm to your child. Mm. So if swearing, I don't swear. I have done. I've been known to, but particularly when I was coaching, I didn't swear to the young people in my care because what does that say? Do you know, it then becomes the norm, you know, and, and they are in my care, like I've just said. I, we don't swear at home, you know. So again. I'm not saying that your children don't swear, but you kind of then almost create this, I want to be like my mum. I want to be like my dad. You know, I don't want to do that in, 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 in a family. I won't swear in front of my children. You know, I won't, you know, all those kind of different things. And, and that's how our, the first places of our children's learning. We've got to prepare them for the educational system. And, and in preparing them for the educational system, we've got to make sure that they know what the family values are. Now, that can just come organically because the educational system will twist that a little bit. The friendship circle might challenge it. But then they've got obviously be strong enough to instill their beliefs, which are your beliefs, a family's beliefs, into those circles as well. And it's an ever evolving circle, you know, in, environment that we speak about. So. Yeah, music is just one thing, you know. I used to play music in, in, in my house and my children like the same music as me, R&B and soul. Those things happen for a reason. I used to chat at the telly every time Tottenham conceded a goal. All right, so be it. But they, they grew up loving Spurs, do you know what I mean? It, it, it's just those those things that, that are characteristics of yours that you instill, you know, in, in your children and your family circle. That can be positive. But then we also have to look at it in terms of what is negative and how that is instilled as well, you know? Yeah, totally. Massively, massively important point. And you, you hear the line used quite often that nobody is born to be racist, which is, is totally true. And people uh, certainly uh, heavily influenced by the environment that they, that they are brought up in. Like you say, that, that, starts, that starts behind the front door. Um, and it's it's so so key, and that's why obviously you point it around education of children is absolutely vital, and certainly the the, the way the way to go in the uh, in the future. Um, but what what I want to touch on in in a minute is is obviously the, the great work that you do with with kick it out because uh, I'm really interested to hear about that. Um, I'm just going to have a short break before we jump back in. Welcome back to the second part of this episode of the Trinity B-Side. And like I said, we're joined by, by Trey Townsend. And Trey, you mentioned earlier on at the start of the show, you, you are the uh, the head of development at, at Kick It Out. Everyone, I'll get my title. I'll get my, it's, uh, it's changed. It's changed. Uh, I've got a new <laughs> fancy title, uh, head of player engagement. I mean, it, it means the same thing, but they decided that they wanted to give me a new fancy title. So it's head of player engagement. It certainly sounds better than head of development. That's, for sure. <laughs> that's a promotion. Okay. That's a promotion yeah. forever. There is one. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a sideward step. It's the same work, just with a new fancy name. So, yeah. It's... <laughs> <laughs> well, as, as head of player engagement, then, 
Um, <laughs> those those of us who who may not be aware of of the background to your role, what does your role actually involve? Because you mentioned earlier on about you know you may come in on a Monday morning and, and Mondays are you know notoriously very 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 busy after the football uh, at the weekend. What what is what is the the key to your role? The key to my role is what we've been speaking about throughout most of this this podcast, to be honest, is education. So I go into clubs um, not as much now, obviously, and, and most of that is via you know Zoom platform. But my my detail of my work is going into clubs and educating young players. So players from nines all the way through to twenty threes in the academy academy environment, uh, staff of the academy environment, and parents of the environment as well all at different stages um but just you know i say education but what it is is good honest conversation about so i don't like to be this person that talks at people um i like the experiences to come out the 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 understanding the lack of knowledge may be the it's never happened to me story do you know what i mean i i love all that to be part of a bigger picture um, so yeah, it comes under the label as education. I suppose it's as educational for me as what it is for the young players. Um, so we talk about the uncomfortable topic of racism, sexism, homophobia, uh, you know, those topics that used to be taboo topics that, you know, I'll take you back 10 years ago. Play, even then players were told to just play football. Do you know what I mean? So it's great now that I'm seeing a lot of those players who were first part of my education process, who are now some of the most important and powerful figures who are talking about the impact of discrimination in football, education, etc. To this day, you know, are out there in the public domain. So we've helped kind of with that. That's kind of like my 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 job on a I say daily basis. Um, and like I said, I, I am I'm empowered as much as I think the people that I'm there to empower. Um, and I also run the mentoring program within the organization as well. So we have a mentoring program called Raise Your Game, which is looking to diversify uh, the football industry in seven different disciplines. And apart from the playing side of it, I can't offer anyone a playing contract because I'd be at the first of the queue, I think. But it, it, it's just that, you know, again, we, we talk about the racism, discrimination, but we have to also talk about representation. And what does the face of football look like? What does the face of the media look like? What is the face of, of refereeing, coaching? So we're, all, we're trying to empower young people to get on the journey. And the way that we do that is through mentoring. Um, so people that exist that work within football, mentoring the next generation of young people that want to work in the game throughout those disciplines. Um, we have some of the most powerful biggest names in the industry you know that have been part of our you know if I mentioned Gareth Southgate straight away you know who's mentored some some young people for me last year um Emma Hayes you know uh Clive Tilsley and Dan Walker Darren Lewis like I could go on and on and on about football used to always get criticized you know people working the game never give back they never support young initiatives they never Oh, that myth is blown out of the water. And that's probably what gives me the biggest amount of pleasure. I won't be working in this industry forever, God forbid. Um, and I want to know that there's a great pipeline of talent coming through and being provided with opportunity. The education stuff, I love that space. And that space energizes me. The space of mentoring and being able to provide a platform for people who normally would not have this access free by the way is is the thing that you know if i could do that on a on a every single day basis then i wouldn't have the gray hairs that i have now that's for sure um but it's all a mix of the job it, and and like i said obviously the stuff that you witness over a weekend and whatever else constant contact with players constant communication with clubs constant communication understanding why this existing to happen getting rolled out on every you know plat uh, media outlet platform troy racism again um it's part and parcel in the everyday of, of what the job entails but you know it keeps me it keeps me motivated um motivated to to finally you know when i'm done i've, I've it's, it's been 10 years this last month that i've been at kick it out and 
everyone said that's a massive milestone. I said, why? Because 10 years for anybody in this industry is enough to drive you crazy. Um, and there have been elements where I think I have gone crazy, but I've managed to control myself. But I, I was bought on this earth to do good, I suppose. And it took me a long time to get to where I, where I, have, where I am now. But I've been, like I said, I've been a teacher for 15 years alongside, um, you know, managing and coaching at non, in non-league. I've ran my own academies. You know, and I used to call myself a failure. And I'm getting into a bit of my life. I feel like I'm on This Is Your Life for anyone that can mention that, remember that. But I used to class myself as a failure because I only ever wanted to be a professional footballer. The dream was to be a professional footballer. Um, and when that dream kind of ended, honestly, I didn't know what I was going to do in life. I wasn't prepared for anything else, to be honest. And it took a little while to get to where I needed to be. But I, I'm grateful of the journey and the challenges that still continue. Um, because I'm strong enough to be able to deal with those. Yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned there about being, being a failure. Yeah, I'm a big believer in everything always happens for, for a reason. So if you, if you don't succeed at something, something else is around the corner. That, that's always been some, something that I've always, always lived by. But the, the, the work the kick it out that, that you do, um, obviously you mentioned there the education side, uh, the mentoring side. You mentioned about the contact on say a Monday morning into Tuesday, do, do you have players coming to yourself personally, you know, raising things with you, what have gone on at the weekend, whether it be at ground, whether it be between player and player, uh, social media, is, is, is that really a, a big part of your job, would you say, at the moment? Part, part and parcel, I couldn't do it without knowing, you know, that the players and, and what's on their mind, you know, maybe not direct contact immediately, but definitely, you know, I'll go and seek the player no matter what way I, I, I have to do that. Because the first thing that many people don't understand is there's a victim at the end of that. They see them as professional footballers who can't be hurt, you know, who can't have, have share emotion, who who just got to get on with it, dust themselves down and get on with it. But first and foremost, they're human beings with families, you know. And I'll tell you for nothing, when a player is racially abused or discriminated against, it's not that it's just the player who hurts. You know, it's the close family members, whether it's mother, father, brother, sister, auntie, uncle, you know, grandma, grandpa. The hurt is, is family-wide, you know, and, and friendship-wide. So first of my always first thought is to ask a player, how are you? You know, it's simple, basic, but it doesn't get asked a lot. So how are you? How did that incident impact you? Are you are your family okay? You know, and, and just setting the scene that way, I find with many, then just says to the player, he understands. Do you know what I mean? And then we move on with a conversation. So I've been helping probably six, seven players over the last couple of weeks just to deal with that. And they're not high-profile players as such, but they're high-profile in their own right, to be totally honest. And the frustrating thing is that you can never seem to get answers in situations like these. You know, and I'm not saying that you want immediate answers, but uh, listen, in a ground of, I don't know, two and a half thousand, where it's the way end and there are cameras in the ground, and the player, God, I don't want to give much away, but the player is identified bam, there. How can you not know who these people are? Mm, How can yeah. you not find them? And I'll tell you this now, which is the worrying thing we've spoke about young people. There's 14-year-olds, a group of 14-year-olds that racially abused a goalkeeper only four weeks ago in a League One game. Like 14-year-olds, boys and girls, by the way. I know what I was doing at 14. Do you know what I mean? So we have a problem that exists right across the scale. Listen, I don't think they'll like the next stage of it, which obviously is caution, which is family involved, school involved, whatever. But we have to treat them. And, I, and people say, oh, they're only young. But we listen, we've covered this, this learnt behaviour piece. Do you know what I mean? So... Yeah, uh, my interaction with players is actually growing more than diminishing. It's growing. Um, I would like to think that they appreciate my 
my advice, my understanding in these situations, um, and then would pass that knowledge on. Um, I've also formed a, like a 12-person player advisory board. So eight players, current players, and four ex-players, players from in the women's game as well, just so they continue to get that perspective of what's happening out there. What support do you need? What guidance do you want? What can you tell me that maybe I don't know? You know, so all these elements make up to a, to the day to day kind of work that I I continue to do in this space. I've got to massively commend you for the work you're doing there, mate. You used the word failure before. I, I, far from it. Far from it. We're all failed footballers in some ways, mate. We all wanted to be football. We all wanted to be footballers. But um, massive work. A lot of a lot of the stuff you've said there is unseen work as well. You know, like that advisory board, like being there, just being there to have a conversation sometimes with people is all that you need. You know, you got to remember. You know, these players. You know, we need to get this mentality of our head that they're super privileged. Yes, they are. They're they're playing in a, in, in an era of football where the money in the game is ridiculous. That's not their fault. That's not their fault. We'd all you know we'd all want to be you know in in that situation. But that just because they're super privileged does not mean they're immune to these sort of things or immune to obviously racial abuse or, or any form of abuse for that for that matter, really. And the key word you used earlier on, actually, is, is, is accountability. And the, soon, the sooner that they, we can be, these people can be held accountable. There's cameras everywhere now, particularly at the high level of the game. You know, the, the, these people, even if they are 14, 15, they need to be, they need to be reprimanded. There needs to be accountability, 100% there. And whether that's banning them from going the game again, or whether that is like a caution, whatever you said you said before, yeah. that that that's a deterrent then. And if there's a deterrent there, then I think we can start going places then. Because then if there's if there's a consequence for actions, people might think twice before they, they, exactly. they do what they do. Yeah. I also believe in rehabilitation as well. Yeah. So you know, particularly for ones so young, if they are you know given banning orders or not allowed to attend matches for a period of time. There has to be a point where they are allowed back, I feel. Many might not, particularly at that age. So a rehabilitation of entering a ground again, which obviously means separate education to your school education. It means understanding the football environment. Um, and then obviously a commitment that you're going back in to watch your team, your club, whatever it may be, um, and not do that again. Because if you do, then you'll never... You'll never um, attend a football match there's also this restorative process bit which is more and more players now want to meet the perpetrators more and more players now want to tell people the impact that their abuse has had on them and i think i think that's a really good process because sometimes if you don't understand the impact of your abuse meeting the victim meeting the player who may be your hero let's say or of a status because they are a footballer and understanding the pain that you've bestowed on them could be the thing that, that switches this around. Players have so much importance in this space. And more and more players are saying to me, I want to meet them. And I think that can only be a positive thing, you know. And um, we'll see how that continues to, to manifest itself anyway. That's powerful. That's very powerful if they can do that. It really is. I think yeah. back, I mean, one example... Uh, I don't think it was race, racial abuse, but Curtis was house former footballer, former boxer. Um, I think he, he got trolled on Twitter by someone, I think, met, mentioned something about his kids and something like that. Um, and Curtis Wood, I was found out within about 10 minutes where this fella lived and literally drove there and straight away. That's right, yes. Yes, he, he I got, remember he got, it. He got his address, didn't he? And, and, he, yeah. and he drove about an hour or what have you and was there and took a picture and like a man yeah. outside the house or... And straight you know, you away, think of it. You down. think of it, Mike. Um, I, I I get some DMs that I'm, you know. I said you almost. If you know you're raising your head above the parapet and you're speaking in this space, you expect some kind of backlash. I remember a Sunday morning when um, I was going to a game. I'm trying to remember the game now. Um, I'm going to watch Andrews play, but the Sunday morning, someone shared an image with me that there was spray painted no blacks on this door. Um, and I shared it. I shared it on my platform. Um, just because I, I was, I just couldn't, those things I didn't think happened anymore. I, 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 I can't even explain my emotion to be, I'm struggling even now to explain my emotion when I saw that, you know, a, a, a father and a son, son's 10 years of age and someone sprayed on it, like no blacks get out, something like that. 
and I shared it on my platform. There's a lot of interaction. I don't normally look into my DMs because I don't want to see some of this uh, crap that people want to say. But for some reason, I did on the Sunday. And someone posted that, like, sent me a DM that just said, die. I was like, what? Just said, die. It was obviously in connection to what I posted. And so I, I screenshotted it, didn't put the person's face up, put the name and posted it. I'm on the way to football. And I tell you now, within half an hour, there's posts saying, Troy, got him. As uh, a young lad, found his Facebook profile as well. Um, he's a young lad. Um, oh, he's, I found his school report. So I now know he's from school. They've given me his dread within half an hour. So I'm like, brilliant. I'm not going to do nothing. Do you know what I mean? I was, I was like, later on that evening, again, I've dipped into my DMs because I felt there's got to be more to this story. And the, fa the father had messaged me and literally said, I cannot believe what my son has done. So obviously people have now targeted him somewhere, Facebook, to, I don't know. Cannot believe what my son has done. He will face the severest of consequences for this. Uh, his phone's been taken away already and he will not have it returned. His social media platforms have been taken down. Um, and like he will, yeah, whatever it was, you know. And I remember I responded. The father didn't respond back to me, but I responded by saying, one, thank you for acknowledging it. You don't have to do it. Um, and two, I'm not sure what was in his mind at the time, but don't punish him too harshly. That's me. I'm a parent as well, you know. So obviously sit him down, make him up. And he didn't respond again and, and has not responded. But it, one, it shows the power and influence of social media in a positive way, by the way. And all right, in the end, we found out it's a 15-year-old lad, you know. But two, uh, you know, helping parents to understand their own children sometimes is, is a massive thing in this space as well. So um, yeah, that's one of my, uh, I'd say, negative experiences. There's people that have a go at me all the time and you kind of get some thick skin around that and become immune to it. But for some reason, I was gravitated to make sure I looked in my DMs on that day. Um, and I always look in my DMs when you when you message me, Mike. So yeah, just to let you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's it's a Brilliant. it's a great it's a, you know it's a really good way to highlight what we've what we've been discussing. You know, and there's always obviously the the person behind who sent the message. Yeah. And like you say, it's it's you can in this day and age you can find someone in the space of minutes because <laughs> with the internet, social media, people always leave that footprint. And people yeah. like in your in your case within half an hour, cases would out, you know, really, really quickly. And when it comes to that, that's when the individual shrinks again because they're not so big, not so tall. Exactly. When it's hard behind that keyboard. And it's it's so it's so so important to, to keep on highlighting those things. Um well, what what what's the what's the focus going forward then would you say for yourself and and kick it out? Um and any any anything in the, in the pipeline going forward to continue this battle i mean you know it's very hard to look into the future when you know that you've not dealt with something in the present so you know the present will always keep throwing up different things at the moment it is you know the the real impact of the social media abuse the the education of young people the re-education of of offenders you know all of that is a massive importance but I, I don't say this too lightly, but I want to start enjoying the job, you know, and there are elements on the job that are very enjoyable and I want to try and get the last 16 months has been horrendous, horrendous in, in terms of abuse. We've already started this season with abuse on the rise. We're only what six weeks into the season. So we've recorded the most abuse six weeks into a season that we've ever had. So I'm not a person that looks too far in the future maybe because I'm old and I don't want to see what the future could bring, but I like to be in the present and the present is not nice. So we can't look too far because we have to deal, continue to deal with that. You know, we promote various different initiatives in our organization. The one at the moment is take a stand, which is empowering everybody to, if you see it, if you witness it, report it, um, you know, and that's as simple as it can, but, I kind of live my life when you've had the experiences that I've had, they kind of live your life day to day. Um, and hopefully the next day is better than the last one. Um, 
And so there's no looking into the future because I'm quite scared of the present. It's sadly, it's sadly rearing, rearing its head more now, I think, because of the societal pressures that's going on, isn't it? Whether it be, like I said, a pandemic, whether it be a Brexit thing, which, you know, that's a story for another day. But let's be honest, that well, a lot of that was made about immigration. Yeah. It became a racial thing even about that, didn't it? You know, I mean, we could talk about that on even on a whole podcast in itself. You know, there yeah. was no way, no way on this planet uh, it should have gone to, uh, something that complex should have gone to a referendum and then it became a racial thing about immigration and things like that and, you know, people of a certain age group and, and, and so on and so forth. But, but mate, look, thank, really appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on. It's been, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. I'm sure, Mike, you'd say the same, wouldn't you? 100%. I mean, I think to, to end on the message of, of take a stand, I think is really, really important. One thing that many, many people may have found difficult in the past to know how to to address yeah. it, how to how to raise it, how to deal with it. I think it's important that you know when, when you go to when you go to a football ground, for example, the stewards absolutely everywhere who who you can take information to, um, because we we've all got a got a responsibility as far as I'm concerned. If, if you if you do see it, hear it. You know, then then raise it. Let, let's 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 all deal and, and and try and combat this together. Is probably the message that, that I think people should really really take from this. But Roy, it's been an absolute pleasure to to speak to you this afternoon. Um, as you know, as we said at the start, always a difficult difficult thing to discuss, but a really really uh, important thing to keep on keep on talking about. That's for sure. Thank you both. Really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure talking to you as well. And thanks to everyone for, for listening to this episode of the, the Trinity B-Side. We will be back uh, early on next week with the, the normal podcast. Uh, we'll have a bit of a preview of the, the West Ham game. And, and also you might see a little bit more from our, our guest today about, uh, about a certain effort and player that he knows, he knows particularly well. So we will, we will catch you then. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. CNCB side tackling the issues within football. Sports Social Podcast Network.